It's Monday, December 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Christmas week. We're getting down to it. <laughs> getting down to the wire here. And for listeners who are really bad at shopping like I am, we've got some last-minute gift ideas for yep. the investor in your life. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. But we would be remiss if we didn't start by saying that, yes, in fact, Star Wars The Force Awakens <laughs> made all the money. I think we. I'd like to think that we contributed a little bit. <laughs> well, we know, did a little part to its success, right? Yes. I mean, yes. the company as a whole. Company, as as you indicated last Thursday, about 110 of us. Yeah. Went to the nearby theater and took in the Force Awakens. We're not going to share. No spoilers. No spoilers here. No but spoilers. It took in more than 500 million dollars worldwide. 238 million here in the US broke 14 or 15 different box office records. And yet, as some shareholders were hoping, or some people watching Disney stock were hoping, shares down a little bit. Down a little bit today, yeah. down a little bit more last Friday in the wake of a sell rating that came out from BTIG. An analyst coming out and saying, look, this is a good company. But this stock got ahead of itself, and cord cutting at ESPN is going to be a, is going to be worse than Star Wars will help. Um, yeah, I mean, that, which I don't agree yeah, with. But I, by all means, wait. Right? No, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that either. I mean, I think everybody's obviously got an opinion. That's what makes a market, and that's why it works so well. Uh, I mean, to 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 the company's credit with Star Wars, I mean, obviously, just a tremendous movie in every capacity. I would say personally. I mean, without giving anything away, I think it lives up to the hype. Um, it was about two hundred million to produce, and it, it obviously has already blown that out of the water. I mean, this is going to be a very, very big money maker, and, and I think the key is you really have to look at it beyond just the one movie. I mean, we talk about all these records, maybe that Star Wars is going to break, but really, at the end of the day, who cares about that one isolated record? Because what we need to think about. Um, is you know not only episode seven but episode eight, nine, potentially whatever else comes after that, the spinoffs that they get from that, and everything else that's going to come with this deal. Uh, I, I think in the next five years, you know, five years from now, we're going to look back at that Lucasfilm acquisition and say, "Wow, that was just another one of those phenomenal deals that Iger helped head up." You know, along with Pixar and Marvel, four billion dollars is going to seem like a pittance compared to what this. You know what this franchise brings in for for Disney as a whole. Now, I do think it's interesting to hear all of the talk about ESPN and cord cutters and and how this is going to be a big headwind for Disney. Because I, honestly, I, I I see this from the complete opposite perspective. Um, I mean, I don't disagree with the fact that people are cord shaving and cord cutting. I mean, that that's obviously happening. But I think I think what people are sort of not giving Disney enough credit for is the fact that they've thought about this as well. And I mean it it wasn't all that long ago. I mean you go back to July of this year, Bob Iger was very clear in saying, "Hey, yeah, I think we could see one day where ESPN is sold a la carte over the top as just kind of an individual app." So, you know, it's not going to be one of those situations where, you know, one day you're going to need to have a cable subscription in order to be able to get ESPN. Maybe they just say, "Hey, $5 a month, you can have the ESPN app and everything that comes with it. Now, think about that for a second, because right now, if you look at you know the United States, for example, around 125 million households, uh, but take a look at it from something like a Netflix perspective, where now, instead of households and cable subscriptions, you're focused on people 
and smartphones and you know maybe tablets. But it's just a it's a much bigger market opportunity. And then look at it from the global perspective. And the beauty of sports is it translates globally. So I think when you look at it from a longer sort of a, a timeline, there, to me, it seems like a great opportunity uh, that I'm sure they're going to capitalize on at some point. So, so I mean, I, I guess timeline is everything here. Maybe maybe this guy who comes up with a sell rating today a year from now sees a buy. But I think to look at this as anything other than just a long term holding is is looking at it the wrong way. It'll be interesting to see what this movie does in China because, and I had just come across this stat this morning, the the last three movies, episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars, say what you want about the quality of them, they did huge box office here in the U.S., and in China, combined, they did just under $19 million. Yeah. All three of them combined. So... It'll be interesting to see to what extent this movie can break through, because uh, Jurassic World huge hit in China. Yeah, and you know I did an interview with CCTV on Friday, and, and uh, you know the, the perspective there was kind of how this is going to be received in China. I think I, I think yeah, given sort of what we saw with Jurassic World, I think given the quality of this movie uh, and, and the direction that they're headed, uh, along with sort of just Disney's sort of the word on the, you know the word on the streets as far as Disney and you've got Disney Shanghai opening up there very soon. I think that I, I think that this movie, along with the ones that that come down the pipe here, seem to do a lot better. At Market Foolery is our Twitter handle. You can also email us marketfoolery at fool dot com. Uh, Andrew Foxwell from Madison, Wisconsin, hitting us up on Twitter. Guys, love the show. What are the best organic slash foodie companies out there making moves? I like this question because you can take it one of two ways. It could just be, hey, if you're looking to invest in organics and the rise in organics, what's a good company? Mm -hmm. But the the making moves makes me think that well, you know, there. What are the companies that are actually maybe? In an acquisitive state of mind, yeah, and I mean it, it. It's it also you wonder. I mean, are you thinking sort of the restaurant style of of move here? Or are you thinking towards like the grocery store side of things here? And so, um, I mean, looking at it from the grocery side, which is kind of what the sounds like the question sort of aims at is, uh, you know, I, I think there are three different sort of oppor- sorts of opportunities here that you can look at. You can look at it from one perspective. You got the grocery stores. So right, your Whole Foods and Kroger, which has obviously stepped up big time here and had a wonderful last five years. Kroger has, I think, a good acquisition there with Harris Teeter to open up their customer base um, to cover you know all all ends of the spectrum there. And and so between Whole Foods and Kroger, I think there are a couple of good uh, grocery store concepts there. Sort of the one and the one that I would love to see go public at some point would be Publix. That's uh, one that I think maybe a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with if you're from the south. Uh, southeast here, then you probably are very familiar with it. But a, a very nice concept there in Publix. I don't know that uh, we'll see it actually go public anytime soon, though. It seems like it's a family-run business. So you got the grocery stores. Then you could look at the suppliers to the grocery stores. And, and the main supplier that we see here in that space, Naturals and Organics, is United Natural Foods. Um, United Natural Foods has had a very tough go of it here these past a couple of years. It's a low margin business. They are in the process of expanding and introducing new supply chain logistics, which have uh, you know hit them on the cost side. 
a good business, not a secret by any means. Um, but then the other way you could look at this is the suppliers to the suppliers. And so I'm talking about like Haynes Celestial and White Wave Foods. And to me, like of those three classes, the Haynes Celestial and White Wave Foods are probably the most interesting because they're kind of store agnostic, right? Doesn't matter whether you're going to Whole Foods or Walmart, you're going to find their products in either one. Uh, and then you know you think about Annie's, and Annie's was recently acquired by General Mills, and so General Mills is even a name in this space now to, to, to consider. Obviously, a much bigger company, something maybe more along the lines of an income play. So you have a little bit more stability, some more reliability there. But I think with the growth uh, side of it, I think Haynes Celestial and White Wave are two companies that have had a difficult 2015, but I think they are businesses that are poised to do very well. Uh, you know, in the coming years, because they continue to sort of make those little acquisitions to build up sort of their portfolio of brands, and so a couple of very well-run businesses there, and, and I'd keep an eye on those two: White Wave and Haines Celestial. We've talked about this before. Uh, anyone who doubts the growing trend in organics in food and beverages, all you need to do is look at. Huge players in this space, the behemoths, whether it's a General Mills or a Coca-Cola, and their investment in an acquisition of smaller pure play organics. Yep. And you say Coca-Cola, and why do you refer to Coca-Cola? Honest tea. Exactly. Honest exactly. Tea. And the thing about honest tea that's so interesting is that they are going to be more than just beverages here very soon. You're going to see food offerings from Honesty really? in the coming years. Yep, they've already expressed the desire to get into the food offering, and so whether that's a year from now or three years from now, I am I'm fairly certain you will be going through a grocery store and you will see Honesty uh, food offerings. Which uh, you know, to me, you know, that's a business we've had a lot of exposure to. We've had their leadership uh, leadership come speak with us here at Full HQ. Local company. certainly, yeah, and certainly seem to be very. Laser focused on just that one little thing and what they're trying to do, and it was a neat little acquisition that Coca-Cola made because they gave Seth and his team there, you know, the opportunity to kind of continue doing what they really do well uh, without really getting too mixed up in it. But it gave them just a huge distribution channel uh, that Coca-Cola is so uh, well known for. If you listen to our industry focus podcasts, you may have heard last week Gabby LaPera and and her crew talking about investment books. And since we are just mere days away from Christmas, if you're looking for a last-minute gift for the investment investor in your life, they throw out a lot of great book ideas. I'm not going to run through them all, but that's the great thing is you can you can just go listen to last week's last Monday's episode of of Industry Focus. A lot of great book ideas. Uh, figured we could add a couple to their list. Yeah, absolutely. What do you like? Out um, there? You know, so for me, I, I like reading about all sorts of different things. But um, so I'm going to hit a few books here that are not just specifically investing related, but uh, some some are. I think I think one that I read this past year that to me was just a really really fun, informative, enjoyable read was uh, Bryce Hoffman's American Icon: the the Alan Mulally and the fight to save Ford Motor Company. Uh, Bryce is is an auto industry expert, uh, leadership aficionado, very very good writer, and and he he really put together I think a great book here. It's enjoyable. You can it doesn't take forever to read. It is really educational, and and you can learn a lot about not only what happened, you know, in the auto industry in Detroit before the crisis, but then also sort of how Malali managed Ford through that entire process and why. 
you know, at the end of the day, when you finish that book, you would. Re- I, I think when you finish that book, you would say, "All right, well, I, I would definitely consider investing in Ford." Uh, I, I would really have you know a few more questions in regard to GM before I, I consider doing that because I'm not sure they've necessarily got their ducks in a row still. <laughs> but uh, you know, a few other books I like. Um, I think for sheer entertainment, I think um, Andy Weir's The Martian was another one I read this summer that I just loved. I haven't seen the movie. I'm a little bit scared to see the movie because the book was so good. I don't want the movie to ruin it. Yeah, it almost never. The movie almost never holds up. I, I don't. To I don't think book. it would. I don't think it would. Uh, but maybe it does. The movie is all right, but I, I would encourage anyone to read it. Um, and then I, I like reading about U.S. presidents, and that, to me, it's just kind of interesting because you get sort of a history lesson. You're reading about something that really happened. But I think with presidents in particular, you learn a lot about some of the most important leaders in the world. The history of some of the most important leaders in the world, and it's not only just about. The history of them, but it's how they got to where they were, leadership methods they employed, ways they approach solving problems, and I think there are a lot of parallels between things that they do and things that we do as investors, and things that you could sort of incorporate into your investing style or your process that might make you better, and it might make you view leadership in a little bit of a different way as well. Uh, and so, currently, I'm reading uh, Truman by David McCullough. I really enjoy it; very good book. Um, but I mean, all sorts of great. Uh, Great presidential books at the Doris Doris Kearns Goodwin, just another uh, oh, yeah. very very good 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 author. Um, and so I, I can't recommend her writing highly enough. I, having just made the comment about the movie never ends up being as good as the book. That being said, I am absolutely over this holiday break going to be heading to the movie theater to see The Big Short, which is the the film adaptation of Michael Lewis's great book. But that being said, that is. I, I would put that number one on my list for any investor who. Uh, Lewis is such a great writer. Yeah. And the real life characters that he's writing about in this book are phenomenal. Just phenomenally interesting, funny, um, a little scary in, <laughs> in some regards, but they're. It's, it's a fantastic book. And I it just from what little I've seen of the movie, Adam McKay did a great job casting people to. Live up to their real life versions. So that's another one that just I'm I'm on the fence. I like the book a lot, and I'm just so like I, I really think about that. I overthink it probably because I mean I I hate going to the movie and then it kind of ruining it for me. I feel like uh, I mean just sort of a guilty pleasure read was in the uh, the Da Vinci Code, right? Yeah, that was a pretty good book, man. I mean like it just, but but man, I saw the movie and it was just like a total letdown. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't bad, but just when you compare it to the book, I mean, it, the book was kind of one of those ones you just kind of want to keep on turning the page. And uh, you know, again, I don't know. I mean, I, I, all of Lewis's writings, I just I really enjoy him. He's just yeah. got such a great perspective, great great storyteller. Um, that's that. I'm sure I'll end up seeing it. One of the things I like about Lewis is he certainly has a pride of authorship, but I also like the fact that. He looks at books that he's written, like Moneyball and The Big Short, and is happy. He's the first to say, <laughs> if you want to option this into a movie, that's great, and I will cash the check, but I don't think this is going to work. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't see how you're going to be. Uh, I haven't read Moneyball, but people who have read Moneyball and seen the movie, Joe Mager being the first one who leaves mind saying, yeah, I, don't, I, I really don't know how they're going to turn this into a compelling movie. Um, the Big Short. I remember reading the book and thinking, "Boy, a couple of these people seem like they would be great 
movie characters. Yeah. But I don't know how you turn this into a movie. Yep. Uh, let me let me throw out two others real quick. Um, because we do get the question all the time about about kids and investing, uh, an ebook recently out entitled "A Very Long Hill: A Daughter and Her Father's Journey Investing for the Long Run" by Maya Peterson uh, and her dad Gunner, who is a, a longtime listener. Gunner sent me an email about that, and yeah, Gunner, yep. thank you for sending that. It was really, really thoughtful. It looks good. To do. Yeah, absolutely. It looks good. So, uh, so check that out. And one I have not read, but so many people. At this company, have mentioned this to me, and I've seen it on desks or in backpacks, that kind of thing. Uh, Ashley Vance's book on Elon Musk, uh, Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future, uh, really seems like a, a pretty compelling profile of certainly one of the most whatever you think of Tesla Motors or SpaceX, certainly one of the most compelling business leaders today. It's a big and big picture thinker. Uh, also hitting us up on Twitter, Nick Wagner, who writes, "Where can I find a playlist of the Christmas music you've been playing at the end of the podcast? <laughs> it's great. Thank you for that, Nick. Um, you know what? Email us, marketfoolery at fool.com. We'll have a couple more songs later in the week. So, uh, we'll anyone interested, we'll, we'll send you a list. Happy to do that. Uh, we've gotten a bunch of email and, and comments on Twitter. People really liking it, which is wonderful. Not everybody does though. Not a, Dan. Dan Boyd, our man behind the glass, safe to say." He's shaking his head. Yeah, not not everybody, because let's face it, not even the twisted sister part. Well, let's face it, holiday music. Not everybody's cup of tea. No, I guess not. Which is, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Well, it was funny is Howard Stern the other day had an interview with Don Henley, and Don Henley's like, "Look, man, we have got." He's like, "I got to go just write some new holiday music." He's like, "This stuff is played." (laughs) He's like, "You can only have so many renditions of." You know, whatever, and he's he's like, we need some new Christmas music. I tend to agree. He's a pretty wise musician. Yeah, yeah. so that's what that's what we've been trying to do this month. Bring just expose people to the new, the different, the the thing you're not going to hear on the radio when they flip to the all holiday format. But again, like Love I said, it. it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, so if if holiday music and what we've been doing is not your cup of tea, uh, well, today's song is just for you, courtesy <laughs> of CeeLo Green, with a little acapella support from Straight No Chaser. Thanks for being here, man. You got it. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a, a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. All I need is a reindeer. So he took his dog, Max, and he took some black thread. And he tied a big horn on the top of his head. Then the Grinch said, giddy up! And the sleigh started down to the homes where the hoos lay a snooze in their town. Oh yeah, this is stop number one. The old Grinchy Claus hissed as he climbed to the roof, empty bags in his fist. 
Then he slipped down the chimney, or rather tight pinch. But if Santa Claus could do it, then so could the Grinch. Then he slithered and slumped with a smile most unpleasant. Around the whole room, he took every present. Pumpernoos and cookies and drums, checkerboards, missile beans, popcorn and plums, and he stuffed them in the bags. Then the Grinch very nimbly stuffed all the bags one by one up the chimney. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote: stink, stank, stank. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch. With a nauseous super nose, you're a crooked jerky jockey, and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic soap.